Hi, and welcome to yet another episode of our podcast. We have a special guest uh, later, and actually we have recorded it already, but we promise an introduction, and uh, our guest uh, talked for a long time, very interestingly. So we will just have a short introduction here. But uh, welcome to you, Mr. Dutch, as well. And I think our first subject will be that uh, you have started... Uh, Defending Fide from pickpocketing poor <laughs> spectators in Toronto. Tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Peter. I'm good. Uh, thanks for asking. <laughs> no, you're welcome. Um, we're getting right into it. Yeah, okay. So this week, the so firstly, we're, we're skipping past controversies. So firstly, Fide have launched the official website for the candidates tournament, and they didn't do it in April, which is a big step forward, I think. I think we're not giving Fide enough credit for launching a website more than two days before the tournament starts. So firstly, well done to Fide. Secondly, <laughs> they have announced ticket prices and I think the ticket prices are pretty reasonable. You disagree? Yeah. Well, what are we debating here? You said it's 49 Canadian dollars is the cheapest, right? And then yeah, weekends... I think that's like one US dollar. Or... <laughs> okay. You are not trying to get invited, I can hear you. But... Uh... <laughs> It could be at the time, but I think currently some said it's like 36 US dollars and maybe in the weekend it's like 50 US dollars for a ticket, right? Or it's a li- mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, compared to, I don't know, a local baseball match, you could probably get cheap tickets that are cheaper than that, but you could not get uh, very nice seats, uh, like if you are a special guest in St. Louis, for instance, but um I don't know. Chess players are just not used to paying for being spectators. I think that's part of the problem. And uh, you seem to think, what's the big deal, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I think, you know, it's a seven-hour game. There's prob- I assume there's live commentary, probably. But, uh, yeah, I think... I mean, I think the tickets for, like, if you want to go for the whole event, it's like $2,000 in the VIP section. and you know. But that's three weeks of chess. You need to be <laughs> fairly dedicated to kind of turn up every day. For 14 rounds. Yeah, I think nobody is going to buy a VIP pass for for, for 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 two weeks. I think it's just something they're putting up there to have the product, right? Yeah. But I think, you know, but, you go for a day, it's a special occasion. It's a day out. You know, if if it was in my city and I had to go there and pay $50, 100% I would go. And if I had to travel there anyway, you know, this that kind of price point, is massively dwarfed by, you know, travel expenses, hotels, like these are going to be the big expenses. So I don't think $50 or something. Do you get to see the players or is that only for VIPs? I'm not sure exactly what the no. kind of layout is going to be. I would hope that they're behind some kind of glass screen, uh, mm-hmm. kind of like the world. No, I saw there match, was some talk about balconies and such, but I was not that dedicated checking out these things. I'm not going to go to Toronto myself, for instance. But yeah, I mean, well, if they can fill up the hall, it's fine. I think for chess, it's stupid not to fill up the hall. I mean, I understand that uh, football world championship or football candidate should not exist. Tickets price becomes a, a very considerate factor. In chess, I think it's somewhat peanage in the in the budget. And we should not deny fans the uh, possibility to to follow the candidates. That would be stupid, in my my opinion. So, I'm a bit on on, on both uh, sides there. But of course, compared to, I mean, I have been to, let's say, two concerts the last year. They cost uh, qu- quite more than than this, and it seems as as normal. It depends, of course, how we 
rate the product. Maybe they're also trying to to say that watching the candidates is a premium experience and you should pay for that. And I I agree with you that if you're traveling to Toronto, I mean, of course, it, it's a very small point of the the price perhaps that is the problem that not that many will travel to toronto to watch so are they able to fill the hall with local spectators but also i don't know how many spectators comes for these kind of events to be honest yeah i i I don't know what what kind of numbers they're expecting but i i personally i really enjoy going to to these tournaments as a spectator um i was in bike and say last week or the week before Mm -hmm. now you got in for free I did get in for free, and they also gave me a media pass so I could uh, steal snacks. So that was pretty cool. Okay. Like okay. overall, I made a profit. Um. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, fair enough. Uh, but no, there was there was a lot of spectators. I spec- I think I'm pretty sure spectators were allowed in for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They so. were behind this big barrier this year because they were worried about protests. But there was definitely a lot of people there, especially at the start of the round. There was a pretty big crowd. And they could watch on the screens and stuff, and yeah, it, yeah, it was it was very cool. And then I after assume the it's games... like always, right? There is the playing hall uh, where all the amateurs are playing, but then there is some kind of you know separation. Still the same hall, right? But then you can stand there and you can stand. I mean, five ten meters from the players and watch when they make the opening moves, right? Yeah, yeah, they were pretty close to the players. I mean, like I said, there was this big plastic barrier that yeah. covered the whole thing this year. Um, but, but you basically, can still see through they... it. If they didn't put up the plastic barrier, you could literally hit them with an apple or paint or whatever you oh, feel easily, like. Oh, right? easily, easily. Yeah. You could, yeah. I mean, you could maybe you couldn't like swing far enough to punch them, but you're not, not that far you. away. No, no, no. Fair enough. <laughs> and I don't think uh, that happened. So. <laughs> there haven't been any kind of incidents, uh, as far as I know, historically. Uh, no, I, this I have to say I was incredibly impressed by how smoothly things ran when I was there. Because, uh, you know, live live events tend to have problems. It's just the nature of live events. And, okay, it was, I went in the middle of the tournament, so, you know, things maybe had time to settle down. But it was just, yeah, they, they seemed to make it look very easy to organize a tournament on this level. So, yeah, I was pretty impressed. They are extremely experienced. I mean, I wasn't in the white this year. Magnus chose not to, to play. But I think I have literally spent uh, more than half a year of my life in white. And all except one day has been in January. And it gives, you know, you spend a lot of time at this chess event. And no, they are just awesome at doing it. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of resources and a lot of experienced people and such. But still, um, it's running incredibly well. And as I mean, you can see the round start at an exact time. And, um, well, there will be a hall with maybe not a thousand players, but several hundred is playing and, and various open weekend tournaments at the same time it's a i mean a literal chess festival right and it's probably feels i guess it will feel much more than a festival than let's say the 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 candidate right the only thing that beats it massively i would say is of course the chess olympiad right but anything else uh, doesn't compare to wagon size that that i have gone to at least uh, yeah i mean i guess I guess there are bigger opens than. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Actually, I mean, I mean like but, when Granka was running, I think that was pretty huge. Numbers. You're right. They're doing. But I would say this mixture of uh, world, the absolute world's best, and then you know everybody can be in the same hall spectator. It is true that the Granka has maybe also copied that, right? But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, no, it was a it was a really cool event, a really nice atmosphere. Um, I enjoy myself. So yeah, and it was free. Any so. any controversies there that happened? Really created? nothing. Like it was really uh, nothing. 
Yeah, I mean, Anna Maya was there. She was doing social media, and I tried to get her into a new controversy by, you know, pointing out that her shoes looked inappropriate for the dress code. But also, Ali Reza was playing in the Masters, so he doesn't really follow dress codes either. He was able to set the standard for everyone else. Yeah, yeah he looked pretty okay. good doing it. So, when you're bringing up a dress code, I, I will take a stab at Fida. I mean, Fida should pay attention. This I actually world-class event organizers who have real sponsors. I mean, people, sponsors who want something back for their money. And they don't mm-hmm. care too much about dress code, is my impression, right? It's not what they, what, what really matters no, I, to I think people. they want the players to look good. But but they look quite good, right? Or yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I, I think Ali Reza is the perfect yeah, yeah. example of someone who basically never meets the dress code and still looks good. Like, mm-hmm. And that's what they want. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. What about uh, Nepom? I mean, I'm really not stabbing at uh, his nationality here, but some were complaining that he did dress too casually. For me, no problem. I don't know how you see it. Yeah, I think Nepom looked a bit more casual at this event than he he has at some other ones. But yeah, I'm okay with it. Um, and also, we uh, I was I was there helping out the Women in Chess Foundation. We gave out some T-shirts. One of the T-shirts we gave was to Ju Wenjun, and she played one of her games wearing her t-shirt which was pretty cool like she wouldn't be able to do that if it was a very strict dress code um but it was a very nice thing I mean, for her to do for us for instance i'm basically making a point out of the, if someone gives me free clothes i will wear it and that's my sort of market level but that the women's world champion has the same is a little bit shocking or you think she's just actually supportive of your cause I hope she's supportive of our cause. She did seem kind of confused when we gave her the t-shirt. I, I'll be completely transparent. She <laughs> yeah, didn't yeah, yeah. seem to re- to have any idea what we were doing, but she was very, very graceful. Oh, she really. she thanked us for the t-shirt, and yeah, she wore it. I think the next day. So Some, someone who has a business will pay attention that they could just give her a shirt, and she will wear it of politeness and afraid of her. yeah. No, no she was she was super nice. Um, I didn't really talk to any of the players while I was there. They were kind of busy, and I don't I try I don't like distracting players while they're in tournament mode uh, i like to me, you do anyway but, outside of yeah. tournaments i think that's fine yeah, i like to yeah. annoy them as much as possible but you know during tournaments i think it's an unfair distraction I mean, but. yes and no players can also be bored stiff and um you know be nervous or someone you know pulling a leg and then it could work well but of course it could also you have to understand when to do it and when not i mean if it just lost a seven hour game perhaps it's not the time to you know put out a prank i would say but um yeah i mean yeah, who knows? But you see, you're you're playing it safe there. Uh, we have the internet for doing it uh, the other other way around. Then, yeah, yeah, for sure. What else? There, I thought there was. I mean, well, let's bring in Arnis Giri here, right? I mean, he was complaining a bit about FIDE actually, and then now has the new FIDE Grand Circuit qualifying for the candidates started, or is it just a 2024 circuit not qualifying for anything? It's a two year cycle now. Yeah, the the 2024. Circuit and the 2025 circuit will qualify for the 2026 candidates. Okay, so, so already the, now the race for the 2026 candidates has already begun. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, basically, well, what Geary was pointing out to that he shared first. I will argue that he he shared second because Veiji won the playoffs. But but even so, that by sharing first or second, he got less points than the winner of the B group uh, in the feeder circuit and. I mean, he's not wrong, though. It's a valid uh, point, I would say. Wow, I'm defending Fide. You're defending Anish. Like, this is yeah, it's gonna, very controversial. Yes, shut this down. But um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think he's correct. Like, it doesn't make a... Like, there's something wrong with the formula that you can win the B group. And 
as far as the classical games are are concerned, you know, like the four guys did tie for first. And I feel like that should be worth more points than winning the B group. Mm -hmm. Um, Because otherwise you should just play the B group. Like if you want to get maximize your chances to get in the candidates, you should be looking at winning strong-ish round robins rather than, you know, get doing well in a, Mm -hmm. a top level event. So like, how does this work with say, if you had to compare, let, let's say you're picking your schedule and you choose the Sinkfield Cup or the London Chess Classic. Like you should pick the London Chess Classic because you there's potentially a lot more points up for grabs there. Winning the Sinkfield Cup is basically a once in a lifetime thing for most players. Mm-hmm. So there, I don't. I think it incentivizes playing kind of slightly weaker tournaments a little bit too much. Yeah, I I generally agree. I also think oh, well, it's simply. I mean, well, Geary was shared second to fourth, but even so, that is more difficult to do than to win the, the B group, I think, no doubt. Of course, well, perhaps Magnus Caruana was missing, but it was still a very strong uh, I- event. And it, it, it sort of gets the incentives mixed up to a certain extent, I, I agree. But um, I mainly just thought, I mean, let me partly agree with Geary. It's not going to happen again this year, most likely. But um, don't, don't worry, he'll uh, never know. No, no, no. There is a risk of uh, not a risk of that, but uh, quite a good chance of that. Is that uh, everything we wanted to? I, I thought you were going to criticize the pairings, if I can say. The pairings. Yeah, because uh, Anish did play the two Dutch players in the last two rounds. I saw that. Yeah, I had this idea of tweeting about that, but uh, to be <laughs> honest, I'm a little bit scared of Geary, so um, I'm somehow. I, I I don't think there was anything going on there, um, but I, no, I no. dislike this. I, I think. Organizers, and I think this happened in the India tournament as well, where Gukesh and Arjun played in the last round. I think organizers should protect players from these kind of types yeah. of implications so that countrymen should also, just play each other in the first round. If you protect them, you're also sort of implying something to a certain extent. You can say it's a private event, so we trust everybody else. We wouldn't have invited them and so on and so forth. No, I, I don't think it's a huge controversy or anything, but I think in, I think it's just a good general principle that you know people should play. Like the candidates, they'll play in the first round. Yeah, that I actually dislike, that uh, Caruana and Nakamura have to play in the first round. I think that is stupid. No, I think there's, a, there's too much danger of them being accused unfairly. Of, you yeah. know, like they get to the last round... One of them blunders in the opening, as as happens. Oh, sorry, actually, in India, it was Harry Krishna that played in the last round against. Maybe, Kesh, yeah, right? yeah. Um, yeah so well, I, I wanted to get uh, get the joke in or the historical reference that Kasparov dubbed it in Wagenseil. At some point, you enter the Dutch tunnel, like it's a tunnel where you get the you know a speed burst because you are playing uh, local players. I mean, well, uh, that is very insulting to both. Uh, Max Vamadam and and uh, even the, the the former winner of Vigans, Jordan van Forest, and well, Geary managed to win both games, but uh, I mean, it seemed a bit um, random. But and he will do that uh, at times, especially when he he has to, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a, it's a huge yeah. problem. I just I was surprised you missed on the, on the opportunity. No, it's more. I mean, well, also yesterday there was the. Um, the qualification for the Chessable Masters, right? And uh, well, Geary lost to Lasavik. He lost by making five draws and losing the Armageddon game with Dwight. It also calls for a, a snide remark or a joke, but I passed up on that one as well. But it's good we have uh, here. I can both postulate not making the joke and making it at the same time, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that's the, the perfect outcome. <laughs> 
exactly. Yeah, but no, I mean, I, it's tricky doing that, and it seems to create a lot of uh, hate. And also, as you know, I'm I'm talking a lot about serious subjects on on Twitter, so I thought also I should uh, you know stick stick yes. to that. Aren't, aren't we all? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So goes, what goes. what are you up to next? Are you going to the chess nine sixty freestyle goat world championship? Fisher Random yeah, Chess 9 like, tournament? Unlike you, I'm not capable of uh, pronouncing it so perfectly, although I think you got something wrong and I'm probably just, just bluffing. But I'm going there, you're right. And um, I don't know really, really not what to do because, well, when I was with Magnus for this, uh, I think that was called Fisher Random World Championship in, in Reykjavik, the rules was that you could sit with someone for, for 15 minutes before the game and uh, to challenge himself, he chose to to sit with me, which didn't work out too well. But I thought that would basically be my role. But I think this time, they're just given the position, I have to start playing. So I will just okay. be there, but we cannot prepare for the openings because there is 960 position to cover and such. So I will be there you for moral support. You don't have golfing. 960 files? Uh, of course I do, but <laughs> he's not allowed to see them before the game. You're joking, but of course I have... Uh, Analysis on all of them, but uh, <laughs> I'm not joking. But uh, no, I know you're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm that insane. Don't worry. But um, I mean, well, it's going to be interesting. It, it literally becomes like I don't know. But you're going to give you suddenly general advice, like you know, it's uh, you know maybe center matters less than in real chess, or maybe center matters more in, in real chess. But it becomes extremely basic advice you could give. I I have no idea. Uh, it's going to be a fun experience, but. Um, yeah, I, saw I think it'll be a some, fun tournament. Some criticism of, uh, you know, maybe from uh, my Danish colleague, Jakob Orgor, who was saying, you know, Magnus has handpicked uh, the format and uh, the players. But I think, well, he's been advised an advisor and he said, well, I think this would be an incredibly interesting format. Uh, the point is that they're going to play Chess 960. But everybody so far has played Chess 960 as rapid chess. And Magnus mm -hmm. has said that when he plays chess 960, it feels so much more difficult than to play real chess. That it would be much more logical to play it as classical chess and chess in the classical fashion, we should play as rapid chess. So now he's getting his way. They're actually going to play four or five hour games in chess 960. And uh, he's picked, I think, players who has a history of caring about uh, chess 960. Of course, Ding is also there. I don't know if he's played chess 960 before, to be honest, but he's, he's the reigning world champion. I don't think he's tried to make it easy on himself. If anything, he's tried to make it as difficult as possible. But I think this... Um, yeah, I guess the only one missing, clearly, is Hikaru, I think. Yeah, I have no clue if Magnus has uh, snubbed him or Hikaru has said no. I would well, I mean, you, get... generally, you just don't uh, yeah. always get all the best players. Like this. I mean, there was just this the guy Kasparov, who could also fit in, but uh, probably he, he, he also, um, I mean, you know, go challenge Chess Knight 60. It would be obvious to, to get him there, but uh, maybe he's clever enough to say no to such things. I don't know. Yeah, Carlson, Caruana, Ding Loren, Ali Reza, Vincent Keimer, Nodebek, Abdusatarov, Kukesh, and Levon. So, yeah, pretty easy field. Like, he's really, yeah. this is quite soft, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah, we are good. I mean, you know, golf in the morning, no preparation, then play a bit of uh, chess in the evening, right? I mean, you're, you're trying to make this a, a holiday, no? Yeah, yeah. This is... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it is a very nice field. Like, I, other than Hikari, I think 
for because yeah. Hikari is the 960 world champion, right? Or uh, he is. Or... I understand. And the but, yeah. Other is than not, him, I don't the, think uh, you could uh, really get a better field, more or less. No, but what I think will be interesting is that I assume that um, well, we talk about accuracy things on 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 uh, on uh, on chess.com all the time, but I guess there must be programs who can sort of estimate the rating of a player, right, based on their moves. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious on the absolute world elite. What would be the rating estimate of them playing a tournament like this? I mean, oh, I, I think 20... it's very close to their level. Twenty eight hundred? Like, no, no, no. I, I think Magnus will lose max fifty points. Okay. Like I, I, let's, because let's, I let's think, see. I think there's. Let's, there I'll will tell be the some... producer to save this clip. I'll have to do it myself if necessary. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's a tendency to to try and drift towards safer positions that they understand. I, that, this is my main criticism of Fisher Random in general, or Chess Nine Sixty. Yeah, yeah. Calling it now is that the players tend to err on the side of caution when they don't really know what's happening, and it can either lead to kind of going towards very safe positions or just trading everything off. And that's perhaps a bit what we felt happened at the World Championship, that Magnus was trying to play nine, Chess 960, but others, like uh, the, the eventual winner, Nakamura, was very successful in just trying to, you know, uh, skip that phase, uh, try to normalize it, and then uh, use your rapid and blitz skills, which is completely correct strategy. Yeah. But now, when you get to have two hours, maybe, you know, maybe it's possible to play at the top. But, but I, I understand your point. But, well, you also understand that well, if that is what everybody is doing, there should be room for someone doing it better and being successful, right? I mean, uh, if there is yeah. higher levels. And I, I think the extra time does actually make it much more interesting because I think... I, I, I think so. And especially for, for the players, actually. I think the yeah, yeah. the players really enjoy kind of analyzing quite deeply, I think. And giving them a chance to do that right from the start, I think... I, I honestly think... Once this is over, most of the players will say this is one of the most enjoyable tournaments they've played. Because I think they I, will. I have another have prediction, though. I think they will say this was incredibly tough, and it was in- took a lot of energy because playing yeah. class- classical chess. I mean, we can do not with our brain switched off, but it's not a huge effort. At least f- not for us, who was not that successful. But even so, I think you're not going to be. If you play a seven-hour game, you will be taking a lot of e- energy. But if you play Three, four hours is not too bad because you're relying so much on things you know. But here, they might have to, from move one, to try and understand things. I think it's going to be harder than physically, and that will tell. So I'm trying to make some predictions here. I don't know what you think about this. But, uh... Yeah, no, I think it will be very difficult, but I think it's the kind of difficult things that the players will enjoy. And I would be very interested to see like how Caruana and Ali Reza and Gukesh do after this because yeah. i think basically they play the candidates <laughs> is their next yeah event, that right? uh i mean i have no there is still a couple of months right uh, yeah but, but is there any other big events maybe some champions chester but like i don't think there's another no, open that's board. even i'm not even sure there is actually no i don't know i mean but um well also this idea of uh, you know being in shape and so on i i don't fully believe it i mean caruana won the candidates when he had a horrible experience in, in Wyke and such. I mean, I think, well, you know, you get the brain going, you get motivated, you think chess is fun, and then, you know, you go prepare for the candidates and you win it or lose it. And uh, yeah. I think also I saw some online being critical of Gukas playing so much before. And, uh, 
they're probably right, but uh, it might work for him. And uh, you know, who knows? actually, I think Gokesh is going to play in Prague. Yeah, it could be as well. But um, I mean, maybe also he's just an honorable guy who signed the contracts, and then he realized, oh, I qualified for the candidates. Should I get out of this? Probably not. I don't know. I mean, uh, could also just be. Yeah, I mean, he's that young. He doesn't have young, to be like world champion. How, how much energy does he need, really? Like, yeah. no. I mean, maybe he should be preparing. I mean, I think uh, and such. But also, these days, preparing openings, it's become easier, and you cannot really, if you have a four-month camp, do you get a huge edge by that? It's not a given to me. So, I don't know. Yeah. On that matter, actually, Magnus is playing Wesley So tonight, so maybe I should at least do a little bit of work there, right? Or you have um, more things we should talk about. No, I think that's a good idea. Or maybe we've, if, we've still if got a long some... interview after this, so people have yeah, yeah. definitely got enough content this week. Um, yeah, if you have so. some good ideas, uh, then we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I'll let you know all my open secrets. for it. That's cool. <laughs> good, good. Okay, and now, okay. well, on to our next sex- segment with a special guest. Okay. Hi, and welcome back. And I'm glad to, to announce that we have a guest to, uh, today, Ali Motasavi. Uh, he's an English IM. He's an old friend of mine from uh, childhood events. And um, I would say he's almost also like, uh, you know, socially quite connected to the chess world. The last time I saw him, I think, was that uh, London chess uh, after party. Uh, and I think we played poker and you busted my kings. But even so, Ali, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Peter. I don't remember busting your kings. Usually my no. kings get busted. Yeah, um, I remember it very vividly. So what did I have? Ah, oh, you had a pair of jacks. I managed to get all your money into the pot. I did everything correctly, and you and you took all yeah. my money. But um, well, that's poker. But we have. That's to why we don't play poker. It's a it's a nasty game. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just thought to maybe you could introduce yourself, but also from my part in the context that I think for many chess professionals, we all often ask ourselves. Should I have done something else with my our our lives? And and you actually chose to do that. So maybe introduce yourself and also tell a bit about why did you choose to be successful somewhere else than chess? Um, yeah, I mean, I probably played, I would say, semi-professional chess, really, up to the age of really 24. And even then, I was to university for three years. I mean, when I look back, I hardly actually really played any chess, even like classical chess I'm talking about. And I became an IM, you know, I got my first IM norm when I was 16 or something. And I was really quite annoyed with myself and like that I didn't get it immediately. And then at 24, I got it. I took a sort of six months off to play chess. And then I kind of thought, it's enough. Um, you know, as you know, chess is a hard game. And now looking back, I think that chess is an, an incredible, has been an incredible thing for me. It's done a lot of things outside of chess for me. Taught me a lot of disciplines of how to sort of, you know, tackle problems and et cetera. But actually playing chess is incredibly mentally difficult as you get better and better. I, mean, I kind of massively underestimated at the time. Um, and then I went into worked in the stock market for a long time, investing in tech and biotechs. And then I became a CEO of a biotech around 2011-12, um, drug development company. And I've been in that industry for 10 years, basically. I wouldn't necessarily say it's always been a success, but, you know, I tried to take my chess disciplines to biology and medicine. Um, 
and biology and medicine are extremely hard. <laughs> yeah. That's my lot. <laughs> Um, so yeah, do you still well, play any like serious chess over the board or are you I, I mean I've probably played I don't know seven proper rated games maybe a bit more or something I can't remember no, no more than 15 max max over the last literally since 1994 um, I play a lot of online chess three minute chess bullet chess um, that's about it but you, you seem still passionately involved with chess, right? Like basically, you can't uh, stop it or anything like this. I mean, you said you play a lot of online stuff, but also you, well, we see you at chess events. You have many friend, friends there still, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually didn't. I like I hated chess when I gave up chess. It was more like it was almost like I felt like I just had not got even remotely close to how good I could have been, and it annoyed me, maybe embarrassed me, and maybe for. When I look back, maybe from 1994 till 2000 and maybe eight or nine, I could barely tell you even sometimes who the world champions were or even any of the games. It took me that long to almost recover. And then around 2008, nine, I kind of almost like somehow got older and actually learned that for so long I hadn't enjoyed playing chess that I suddenly enjoyed looking at chess, that when you come at it from a different point of view, it's just a game and it's actually a great game. Um, and that really kind of helped. And then I kind of played a lot more online and games like that. When, the, when that intense competition went out of it, it became much mm -hmm. more fun. Yeah, for instance, me, myself, I tried to play chess 10 years ago to see if I could just play for fun. I can't, but you're telling yeah. us... It took you a long time, but you're actually there now. You just play for fun. I only play for fun. And yeah. I actually even enjoy, like, chess studies and puzzles and, yeah. you know, some of the stuff that, you know, like I watched one of Matthew Sadler's videos on chess engines the other day. And it really, one of the, you know, things that just, it just, I was just utterly stunned that there was a, in, in my opening of choice, move five, an engine could come out with a move queen d2 in the pit Austrian attack that had never, ever crossed my mind or anybody else's mind. I mean, it's not winning or anything. It's just an idea. And it again showed me that, you know, I really believe that we, you, even the very best players, even your boss, Magnus Carlsen, who's probably the greatest player, or probably he is the greatest player for me that's ever lived. I say this very tentatively, but... We're very bad chess players. We don't really understand the, the real substance of chess, like computers. I I tend to agree, and I, I hope Magnus is not listening when I when <laughs> that, right. But no, I mean, well, Magnus is an incredible human player, but of course, uh, computer level is extremely fascinating. And well, I think mm -hmm. that the the example Ali is sort of referring to is uh, it's completely insane that. I mean, you would just laugh at a human suggesting it, uh, even five years back, I would say. Now yeah. we understand that this is cool. But the point is we can understand it, but to play at that level is still completely impossible for us, as I see. But actually, you know what? I think yeah. it's possible. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we're, tr we're training, when I say ourselves, it's not me necessarily, the very best players in the world are, are like doing it wrong. <laughs> I think there is a new um, there is a new era of potential new chess players who can like do what the computers do, which is this deep prophylaxis. I, I can almost see it happening now. Like when I look at say Gukesh or Eragaisi, 
they are playing a very different type of chess to me. Yeah, I, I get your point. Also, I mean, for instance, uh, in in Team Magnus, we had Jordan van Forest uh, the last time that yeah. Matt preparing for, and I enjoyed talking to him mainly because I could not understand what he's saying, but I can see that sometimes he's right. About yeah. this new generation, well, they lack any kind of proper classical upbringing, and I kind of mean that as a compliment, or at least as mm. an interesting thing. And that's what you're sort of saying, right? That mm. um, I mean, we have to sort of stop understanding chess in the way we do and that's impossible for old guys like us right but for the new ones uh, mm. they get it get it from birth i mean i think exactly what you said is that you know all the kind of let's say hard rules that we were brought up on like i don't know you know in the king's indian the dark square bishop is king you can sacrifice it for a pawn it's not true it's true mm. some of the time or even our idea of king safety i think we're way too conservative you know yeah 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 Uh, so all these kind of hard rules, and it's like, it's just amazing to think that we all kind of going off in the wrong directions. Um, and there's a real much deeper layer and even potentially deeper and deeper layer to chess, which I, you know, you kind of got to the, I got to the idea even in 1994 that chess is being solved and we're never going to play yeah. again. And like, you would have thought, so. <laughs> oh, sorry. I still think so, but uh, I mean. I, I'm I not sure. I'm not sure. No, let's see. I mean, now in, in a few days or in a week, Magnus uh, and some others will play this chess 960 tournament. And there, <coughs> get rid of opening uh, theory. But my guess is that they will play at maybe 2500 level because it's just so difficult for them when we don't know it. Uh, and uh, No, chess is incredibly rich and it's clear that we understand it less. But, um, well, my job is theory and theory is perhaps a bit too stuck in a way. We cannot all play the pitch like you, right? Well, no, I mean, I think we're talking practical chess. In, in theoretical chess, engine chess, everything is a draw, basically, yeah. within reason. You know? But practical chess, you're almost getting to the point of what's the right disadvantage to have. You see what I mean? You can, you can play with a disadvantage. You know, these kind of scores of minus 0.5 in an engine, there's very different, well, you know better than me, but very different flavors of minus 0.5. Yeah, and a very successful one, of course, are strong practical players. Now you mentioned Gukesh, but you can mention others. I mean, well, they are not so confined into playing correct chess. They are trying to beat their opponents, and that, of course, becomes extremely interesting. Yeah, and we were brought up, you know, when I was sort of growing up, there was this kind of Russian school of chess. There's always yeah, yeah, a correct yeah. move. And, you know, there was times when I was really young when I just didn't have a clue what I was doing. I remember playing once H4 in some as white in a Fianch against a Fianchetta. Maybe it was even against the King's Inn. I played it very early. And I always got told off by someone, by, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say one of the coaches. But you were almost embarrassed if you sort of did things like that. Yeah, it's, you know what I mean. That's quite interesting because, like, yeah, I, I agree. Like in the past, people had a much stronger opinion about what the correct move was, and yeah. nowadays, like, we actually have the information. We have more information to tell us what the correct move literally is. But the the reality is, it's different from that. Like, we can look at the engine and it will tell us what the best move is, and we know that that's the best move. And that's something we didn't have like thirty years ago. But it's still more complicated than that, even though we have the information. Because But it will also tell us up. that these, you know, moves that Ali mentioned, they are much more respectable than we thought. Let's say playing H4, the King's Indian. 
I mean, I would be like Ali and say if my opponent played h4, black should be better already. Now we know that's extremely far from the truth. I mean, white could still be quite better, and h4 is a very respectable move. I mean, chess understanding has... and No, this kind of dogmas we were suffering from was, was huge. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's the same in other fields. I don't know any other fields. Massively. In medicine, I mean, it's yeah. the most dogmatic field. Like in biology, it's... it's, it's it's a thing that, you know, when they say, for example, in science that, let's say, science is slowly accretive. You know, you just build tiny amounts of information and it's slow. And I really want begin to wonder if that's true. I, I think it's actually just dogma and people, you know, follow each other. You know, in medicine, like in drug development, everyone's, you know, you'll have suddenly 50, 100 drugs which look exactly the same, you know. And mm -hmm. it's a function of human nature because... Um, you don't really want to stand out. It's quite, you know, even in my own little world, like I was a very unusual chess player, like unusual moves and situations, like Jordan, right? They attracted me. But in those days, you know, you kind of like stood out like a sore thumb, you know? And it's not easy in any field to basically just be that person. I mean, I don't want to insult you, but when you were younger, yeah. of course, I thought that uh, there was something wrong with your understanding of chess. Uh, there is. That <laughs> could, could be, but less than I thought. Let's put it like that. Yeah. But actually, that's the weird thing. As I got older, my understanding's got much better. And I realized that in a very deeply intuitive level, maybe not, I didn't even get it, understand it then. I was onto things, you know, like, and I was having it beaten out of me rather than anyone sort of, you know, no one wanted to say, no, you can't do that. You can't play this. Oh, you're too, uh, you're too tactical almost. You're just a swindler. And you, I began to be convinced of it myself, right? Until, you know, you see the Dubos and the Anvoros, they turn up and they suddenly all goo catches and you're like, hang on a minute. Lord Simon Williams, I was doing that 25 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, I, I get your point. Uh, anyway, we, we actually invited you to, I mean, we could, I'm sure we could talk about this for, uh, forever, but let's do it over a beer at some point. But uh, sure. we also brought you here because uh, I wouldn't say you got into a dispute with Mr. Dutchy, but at least, <laughs> uh, in terms of on women on chess, um, well, Ali, you were the one who actually spoke out on a few uh, subjects here. So, well, maybe you guys should, uh, you know. Take it to the yeah, streets. I think, I think there was to, just to put a bit of context. I think there was there was a lot of discussion on Twitter recently. Um, I think what kicked it off was some discussions about women's titles that are specific to women. And I think you guys both more or less are on the same side of this. That you kind of you're not a huge fan of women's titles or women's tournaments in general. But I don't think either of you come from this from the point of view that you don't think women should have these things. I think it's from you both come at this from the point of view that you think everyone should be equal. Is that, is that, am I right in assuming that? Broadly, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a bit more nuance, but yeah, I mean, it's not about taking things away. Um, it's about, maybe it's just, a, it's almost a different discussion, but there are some intersections. Yeah. So I, I wanted to, so th this whole kind of, I'm very interested in women's chess and I, I kind of do work for the Women in Chess Foundation. Uh, so this is kind of, you know, specialist subject for me, but I wanted to, these conversations always get very messy and lots of different things get mixed together. So I wanted to start off by talking just kind of specifically about women's titles and like the criticism that the women's titles get. And I understand that, you know, some of these criticisms seem valid at the start, but I think in general, they're all pretty weak. 
So the first one that I, and I'm not exactly sure how either of you feel about women's titles, because I think we mostly talked about tournaments, but I just kind of as a more general thing, I think the first thing I wanted to talk about is that uh, women who claim a title, even if it's kind of one of the lower levels, the women who claim these titles are always ambitious players. They never settle for the title that they get, because that's not how chess players operate. Um, I've never really met a chess player who's completely satisfied with their level unless they're basically ready to retire. If they're still actively playing in general, they're not happy with where they're at and they want to get to the next level. But I don't think this makes any difference in their ambitions in a negative way, but in a positive way, it makes a huge difference because women who claim titles count as titled players for norms. Because they can play in stronger tournaments that they might necessarily not get invited to because they're able to play in norm tournaments. Um, this is something I talked about with Ellen Nielsen, who kind of pointed this out to me, is that, you know, she she doesn't care about women's titles, basically, at all. Um, she's not interested. She wants to become, you know, an FM, IM, whatever. But she claimed the WFM title because then it gets her invited to norm tournaments. She can play against stronger players. And the second thing about that is, you know, Title Tuesday for amateurs is an incredibly strong tournament. So if you can claim, you know, a title and play against, you know, 10 title players, 11 title players in a row, um, that's definitely, to me, a sign of someone who is, like, very ambitious. So I, I just want to kind of start with that. And I don't, I don't think there's any other real downsides to women's titles. I think the other argument that comes up is that it's demeaning to women. And the, for me, I think it's demeaning by certain men. And I don't think those men respect women regardless of of what title they have. <laughs> so, yeah. I've, I've spoken for quite a long time. So. <laughs> so maybe you guys can talk. Peter? Well, Ali is the guest here. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I can say that. Well, yes and no. I mean, oh. it, but the problem is that by creating, you know, titles that are somewhat easier to achieve we also create uh, easier barriers and um, well that doesn't always help i mean i understand it encourages some but it also becomes uh, too easy for for others or maybe well i mean for instance i think in denmark the big goal for most female players has been the national team because when you get on the national team you get to play the olympiad and so on and so forth I think the highest rated on the current racing list who has not played for the national team is uh, rated 1801, which basically means it becomes a goal, everybody achieves. But after becoming on the national team, suddenly there is this huge vacuum of not very much to achieve. So I think at some point I did statistics at female players reaching 1900 in Denmark. Well, they fit into the averages. Uh, they are as many, if not more, female players uh, compared to men who has reached 1900. But if you take 2200, the numbers drop considerably. And I think that when we sort of lower the goals, people will fit towards these goals. Secondly, you say that will help them get into tournaments where they can play stronger players. My argument will be that, well, they get there when they are not ready for it or not strong enough for it. So that we, you know, we help them artificially to play against stronger players. But it doesn't seem to, to work out that well. You could also say that you remove the sort of uh, target that they should actually become better to 
achieve these things in a way. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, from, I'll just interrupt you. We are jumping yeah. across the tournaments, um, uh-huh. which I don't want to do. But okay. I would say with the specific example of the Olympiad, if you're a 1900 rated player and you get into the Olympiad, it's an incredibly strong tournament. I think there's, there is something of an argument against whether the very top women should be playing in tournaments like the Olympiads because they would get more, they would play stronger players in, you know, the open section or just in open in general. But for a, you know, 1900 to 2200 player, like the Olympiad is basically the strongest tournament you can play because you'll play several much stronger players, depending on pairings and stuff. Um, so I still think that the, that tournament itself, you know, at the top it's maybe different, but for the vast majority of people that are playing in that, that's basically the strongest tournament they're going to play for the year. Okay, uh, th- that's not my feeling in Denmark at all. You can just play any local tournament. You will f- play face stronger players than uh, you do, I mean, uh, at the Olympiad. Um, I mean, for 1900? For sure, you just, uh, I mean, well... You can play open tournaments or you can play tournaments. I mean, for a female player to play tournaments at their level is extremely easy. I mean, the, the strongest Danish player for 40, 50 years, Nina Heuber, she just chose not to play female chess. She thought, okay, I can just play, you know, uh, lo- locally instead. That makes much more sense uh, for me in a way. But I think also we should get Ali in. He is the guest here, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, it's a complex subject, but I think... Um... There's a few things, in my opinion, being conflated. But if we just actually go back to Badana, right? She's let's say eight years old now. I think that's the that's the for me a good starting point for the whole ecosystem of chess players, right? Um, you know, that's the youngest possible sort of starting group. Let's start with the best players. So she's obviously won, I think, the world on the race with eleven out of eleven girls, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like I think this should, sometimes it's as simple as this that. If Badana isn't playing the very best players, it's like imagine there was no genders and sexes and anything, right? We're just talking the best players, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that as a sort of ecosystem, evolutionary system, almost, you imagine you're starting from the youngest possible age, that has a huge impact on the whole um uh, you know, on the strength of those players, right? Because, you know, they're more and more and more they're starting to basically um, not test themselves against the best. It just does something to you, the way you play, the way you assess positions, the way you improve, really. Uh, and I think that's just a massively impacted as maybe the first big thing, right? Um, you know, we can talk about separate titles or separate prizes or whatever, but if we just start from there, to my mind, like, a Badana should be playing just against the very best eight-year-olds in the world. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. But I think, like, well, firstly, the tournaments that Badana has kind of destroyed everyone. Um, I think that has brought a lot of attention to her with her, like, you know, I don't know how many times she's once scored a hundred percent, but I think it's more than once, which is like very rare. She's scoring like ten out of ten, eleven out of eleven. Um, but I think that, you know, she wouldn't have got as much attention if she'd, you know, performed at the same level, but in a boys event where she would have maybe scored, you know, seven out of 11, but with the same performance rate. But why would she yeah. score? The question is why, for a start, is it true that Badana would score seven out of 11? 
um, probably at the moment there's there's always at the beginning someone. I mean, I mean, it's just just a guess. It's a purely arbitrary number. Like maybe she would score eleven out of eleven in the boys as well because she's playing in adult events as well at this point. So like, um, but I think you know her becoming girls' world champion or something. Like I imagine that's very motivating for her and her family, and it's something that's very easy for her to explain. Uh, to kind of a non-chess audience, you know, it gets you in the papers, gets you in the media and stuff. It's a very easy thing to transmit to, like, a wider audience outside of chess. Because inside chess, we understand what the rating system is. Like, and basically, that's the only thing we really care about. But, like, for outside chess, I think the titles and these <clears throat> world championship titles are quite important. And it, it's a very easy to trans way to transmit to kind of the wider well, audience. Whether it comes to getting like more attention or more sponsorship, things like that, I think it's still very beneficial. Yeah, maybe. But look, we're going to start off with a sort of, you know, taking personalities, individuals and, and, and genders out of the question. It's like, look, what is a really talented chess player trying to do? In the end, their goal is to be the world champion, right? To be the best they can possibly be. That's the objective of the exercise, I'm sort of saying. Um, and I just think if you introduce any system where um, they're not playing the very best players, there's a very meaningful drop in standards of that player and other players. It's just it's just the way it works. It's like you know I'm whatever rating I am. If I play, if I just constantly play people who are 300 elo points, let's say on blitz, lower than me, I'm not really getting anywhere. But that's true. But then, it doesn't the same argument play to? Doesn't can you make the same argument against kids' tournaments as a whole? Like, shouldn't the, the argument should be Bodana shouldn't play any kids' tournaments at this point? Well, I mean, you can you can always take that, extrapolate that to anything. You can sort of say, well, if they let Bodana into the candidates, she should play it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so but that's a different sort of type of question. It's like it's a question of like you you have categories. That's definitely true, right? But when you create, like, so, so I'm assuming, my assumption is that, let's say, men and women, girls and boys, should, to my rational mind, there should be no differentiation between them. One, one of the, maybe one of the under, if we sort of curl back a bit, one question is, is there something fundamentally different? Are they worse or better? My view is, I don't see any reason biologically why. I don't makes no sense to me to me chess is the ultimate you know mind sport mm-hmm. irrespective of physical strength and whatever girls and boys are basically start off at exactly the same strength theoretic in a theoretical world right yep. and then the next question is okay so well let's let them play each other all the time right that that doesn't mean for example i wouldn't have a female prize in a, in, a, in a tournament, right? Um, maybe I would even sort of think, you know, the, the titles, they're slightly more complicated. I can sort of agree with that, right? But just generally, the notion that, say, Badana, I keep picking on poor old Badana, but Badana <laughs> and the other girls are not playing the best players. I think it sets the whole cascade off on the wrong trajectory. Yeah, but I I think the the tournaments that Badana has picked has been like she played in the the European Women Rapid and Blitz. I'm not sure what Badana's rating is at the moment. Like I always just see these ridiculous performance ratings that are significantly higher than her actual rating because her rating can't keep up. Um, but I think her rating was like maybe 1850 or maybe she's a bit higher now. But she was playing in the Women uh, European Rapid and Blitz and she beat I think Selimova who's one of the candidates. 
And I think like playing in that tournament, like it it would be difficult for her to well maybe not difficult, but you know, in January at least, there's probably not another tournament she could play of that strength where she's playing up against, you know, people who are in the women's candidates tournaments, for example. Why not start with a sort of like for like comparison? Start at the beginning. Let's make I mean, let's agree that you know, we could go into a complete chaos syndrome, like basically have no kids tournaments, right? But if we agree, let's say, yeah, there should be a World Under-8 Championship. Let's just say there is. I mean, I, I actually believe that to be true of any age World Championship. But let's say it's at the very kind of really lower stage. In terms of trying to be the best, why should there be a difference? Why should there be a different section? What is it? Like, is there a fear? Is there a problem? Like, are we, are we saying that, I don't know, for whatever reason, women are worse than chess? I don't believe that. Do you believe that? Does anyone believe that? No, I, I certainly don't believe that. And I think there's there's been a big study done recently that hasn't come out yet that basically proves this once and for all. Um, but I think... So you spot a reason. I guess the reason is, like, why do we have... Why do we need the kids' tournaments in the first place? Why do we need... A, what's the benefit of having an under-eight world champion rather than just, you know, eight-year-olds just play with adults? Because I think it's the same reason to have girls and boys tournaments no because like uh, a world under eight or world under 10 or world under 12 i mean yeah you're, you're right you could have no, you could have no categories at all but i i, I create categories I, I just think about it who are the best players let's say in the world in these categories and to create create a subcategory where i basically think that let's say genders are equal seems bizarre to me I, I think it's I think it's an important concept. Who is the best under eight player in the whole wide world? Okay. Yeah. Then I sort of think to myself, but why 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 when I think Badana could or another Badana could easily be as good as I don't know who the boys world under eight champion is. Yeah, we why don't have <laughs> But why have we created that like from the get go? Like so to me, like, you know, this whole kind of our whole social problems, all the things, you know, about I don't know, abuse and you know all the things, all the problems that happen when when we all get older and girls get older and whatever, they're not really there at the age of eight. An eight-year-old's an eight-year-old, you know what I mean? They're just like there, but their parents they want to be there. I want to see who the best player is, and then I personally think the minute from that get-go, the minute you create that separation, I think it impacts on, uh, say, Badano's potential strength because. She she hasn't got the feeling of playing the very best eight year olds, and I think that feeling is critical to her in her improvement, in her aspirations and ambitions. And I think that she's so clearly better than any girl player. You see what I mean? It's kind of no, no. I, I do. I think this is an important point because I think you know the scores that she's been putting up in the girls' tournaments are just you know it's clear that they're. She's way ahead. Like you don't score a hundred percent in a tournament just because you're slightly above the field. Like you're, <laughs> you're kind of demolishing everybody. But I still think there is there's value there for, for her in terms of you know the, the motivation of she gets to be the women's the girls world champion. And I think you know girls in general do enjoy spending time with other girls. This is something that kind of comes up regularly. But the the socialization thing is very important. That we can't really go. I, and I think it's something that men kind of we really take this for granted because I think socializing for us at tournaments is super easy and we kind of it doesn't 
we almost don't think of it as a conscious thing because it's you know we go to a chess tournament and there's 200 people that look exactly the same as us and are the same generation as us and it's very easy for us to kind of make friends with these things and i think this is a different thing for girls because there is just such a much much smaller percentage of them at chess is that tournaments. True? At the age of eight, I mean, at the age of eight, right, they're all basically almost in the same playing hall, the same venue, probably everyone, the boys and girls are staying around, you know, probably with their parents around the same area. I mean, even that, even on a, even on a social level, like, you know, I went to an all-boys school. My kids go to mixed schools, right? Actually, my son went to an all-boys school, right? He hated it. My two daughters go to a mixed school. And I, I can noticeably tell that, they're much more sort of comfortable around boys, right? And even for me, like, it's like, I, I actually fundamentally disagree with almost single sex anything within reason, you know, this is what I mean. I think like, even as a, even as a sort of process of growing up, I think it's important. No, but I think, I don't think it's, I think there's, a, there's an important difference between single sex tournaments being the norm and single sex tournaments happening occasionally. So like, because I think world rap, like, let's be serious like girls only play like maybe two girls tournaments a year like they'll play maybe the world championship and maybe if they're lucky they'll play national championship and at an absolute push they'll also get like european championship or something but like very few girls will get to play all three of those events in a year and the rest of their events are mixed i think because and a mixed event should be the norm like I, i fully believe that like in a perfect world mixed events we should have them everywhere i think the all the way up through the levels like in a perfect world, that's what we'd ha- we would have. But I think it's going to take time for us to get there and make sure that you know things are safe and people are comfortable. With it. Sorry, Peter, you wanted to speak. Yeah, let me weigh in. I mean, uh, I'm I'm married to uh, I think she was under twelve uh, world world champion, uh, and uh, well, she became the strongest in her country, Lithuania. But I mean, what I want to agree with Ali is that I mean, well. I think becoming women's youth world champion, it's a mixed bag. It gives you a lot of attention, but it also not just you in that direction of um, your career becomes a female career rather than just a career. I mean, you, you suddenly you are titled the world champion. You start, everything will be measured on that. Success will be expected on that level. It's very difficult to come out of also... I mean, national teams will tell us, can't you play for the women's team because you help us much more there. I mean, the most talented, they will be squeezed. Uh, I understand it might help some, but I think for the absolutely best, and uh, now, now when we talk about Bodana, I mean, she's being pushed to having a female career rather than just having a career. And that, I think, can be very dangerous and also will hold her back I- eventually. I mean, for instance, my wife, she was uh, when she was young, she was perhaps on the level of Arishenko, who is her age. And while her career, of course, uh, became much more famed in terms of rating and actual strength, she became considerably worse than Arishenko. But you will find your niche, you will be successful there. But I think having, you know, female careers in chess also limits a lot. I think also that's what Ali is saying, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I can't see any kind of debate. That's really obvious to me. I mean, look, again... I don't. I haven't thought about it that deeply, but my guess is I would have a mixed under eight championship. There could be a, a, a girl, a, a girl champion within that, but I'd like to see the under eight all sex champion, and it could, Badana could win all of those, right? And I, I, I understand that she's playing a lot of mixed tournaments, and she's playing maybe quite a few, uh, not, uh, a sort of uh, not that many of these all girls tournaments, but 
you know, she'll grow up and you see, well, Peter's talking about it with his wife. You start getting better. Then you play, you know, you get into the world championship cycle. Think about the women's world championship. That's a big commitment to play it, to prepare for it. You're only really playing women. So all of a sudden you're back to actually not playing that many mixed tournaments, right? So when I look at, let's say, Vikanze and I look at Yawa Hifan, who's a fantastically talented player, right? it seems crazy to me that she's sort of there to be beaten as some sort of very low-rated player. It's just... Makes no intuitive sense to me. Like I, I kind of like imagine a world like Vikanze where it's half women, half men. Sometimes the, some some eras the women dominate. It's just it, it, we've got to, to me structurally. I sort of go to the what's going on here, right? It doesn't make any sense to me. Why? Why? Like you know, there are some social constructs like maybe girls just lose interest in chess or something. I don't really get involved in that sort of stuff, right? But from a very young age, we are promoting this separation and segregation at the very top level, which in the end filters down to every level. Yeah, I, I think at the top level, there definitely needs to be a bigger push towards mixed events. And, you know, like we saw Drew Winch on Iwakanzi beating Ali Reza. I like, I, and also, I, I saw quite an interesting stat recently that, you know, if Drew Winch only played players against, that were over 2600, her performance rating is like, uh, almost 2650. So she would be significantly higher rated if she only played you know, 2,600 plus players, which is men. Um, so I do think there should be a bigger push towards more mixed events at the higher level. I think it's very unfortunate that, like, Gibraltar has vanished for them. I don't and, get it. All, all event, events are mixed at the moment, right? I mean... Well, uh, not not in reality. Like, in no, theory, but the yes, but not in reality. The problem is that when you see with Wyke... Well, you do have female players there, but they are always injected as the lowest rate in the group. It also creates uh, a wrong uh, image, you know. Yeah, but that's that's just you know that's the reality of the, the situation. But I think tournaments. Is it, but like, is that like, reality Qatar, situation? Qatar, for example, like Juventus very well in Qatar as well. I think that should be the standard for chess tournaments in general. Like not not really related to women, but like I think big opens are far more interesting. Uh, than these small round robins. So I think things, things like Qatar, Gibraltar, uh, the way Isle of Man was before it became the Fide Grand Prix where you know everyone was in the same tournament, I think these are a much better way of closing the gap rather than... I, 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 I'm kind of unconvinced by the things at the kids' level because I think the argument is like... Again, I don't. we're definitely not picking on Badana because we're big fans, but like... The, her playing in the women's European Rapids and Blitz, because it's an adult event, that's much stronger than her playing in any boys, uh, sorry, open under eight championship, for example. So, like, if it's a choice between adult women tournament or mixed kids tournament, she should be playing in the adult tournaments. Like, that's even if. Uh, uh, but I mean, you know, let's say being the world champion for your age group is a kind of pinnacle in that age group. That's a we accept that fact, right? Um, you, you know, look, I don't know. Let's say, why do we have women's tennis and men's tennis? I mean, to me, it's it's just a question of physicality and strength. It's just a biological thing. It's obvious. We need to. Otherwise, it's just impossible. You know, I think Serena Williams or Venus Williams played like the men's 150th and just got overpowered. It's just, of course, you have to have a women's section. But, um, but chess, to me, is, is the ultimate... Um, Let's say um, everybody starts off on the same footing. 
Uh, and yet, we don't seem to. What, okay, another way to look at it, look at it is why is there such a small representation of women in the top fifty? Mm -hmm. Why? Why is that? I mean, you know, it gets complicated as yeah, you go. I think it's. I mean, for me, it's a participation gap. Like, I think the the key to closing the level gap is if it was fifty percent women, like we would have fifty percent women in the top hundred. Um, all of the data I've seen suggests that. All right, but at eight-year-old level, ten-year-old in the world under eights and tens in the world cadet, you do have equal representation. I agree. As 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 girls and boys get older, it definitely starts to converge to a huge, just a numerical thing towards men. But that's why I picked on poor old Badana, who's probably going to be smiling at me. But because right at the right at the like starting point, it it is equal representation, and actually, girls and boys do socialize in the sense that, you know, as eight-year-olds kind of do, they're in the same playing hall. We don't have the same problems with safety. I mean, you know, there's always problems with something. But generally, it's about as equal a playing field as you can get. And from that get-go, I actually believe the, what, the part of the reason why it numerically just gets worse and worse and worse is by that introduction of segregation of males and females, or, uh, girls and boys tournaments. I mean, I'm not, it's not entirely that. But... I just don't see any reason for it at that particular moment. And I think at that particular moment, you set the scene for quite a lot of the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand where your logic goes, but I think the if you talk to women who have given up chess or have kind of given up at least playing over the board chess, I think women's tournaments or girls' tournaments, are very they don't come up in the conversation. Like There are definitely significantly bigger problems and they will tell you what they are like i think women are generally pretty vocal about this stuff um but i i don't want to kind of i'll let you have the last word on this that's fine no, 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 i've passed last words I, look, I, I, I generally in life start with the premise that i don't know anything i'm never right and yeah, listen yeah. i'm quite happy to be wrong i've really not passed all that no but i i think it's uh it's an interesting subject and I, I think for me like participation is the the biggest problem like i think if we can fix the participation gap then i think a lot of the problems will be solved and if they don't then okay we'll have more women playing chess so like i don't really mind so much um but we, i know you don't have too much time but before you go i we did want to ask you about your experiences in uh entitled tuesdays because this is a big topic in the chat oh dear <laughs> <laughs> oh, um Peter, you first, and then I'll blow it up. <laughs> no, I haven't played a lot of title Tuesdays, uh, so I think there we will have to. I mean, well, uh, yeah, I mean, title Tuesday. I've played, I've played a lot of Blitz Chess. That's fair on Light Chess for a long time, and uh, not so much on Chess.com because I hate the interface. But I have played quite a few title Tuesdays. Um, generally, generally, look, so this is a very serious existential problem. Uh, you got the world's best players really going at each other. Like you know, I'm not in the game of chess for my profession, but you know, it's risky when you start attacking your uh, your own sort of income almost. So it's, it's a dangerous game that's going on. But if you ask my opinion, um, let's say Vladimir Kramnik, who I like and spoken to a lot, is you know. I personally think he's going down the wrong path with the statistics, only because I think at best you can get correlation, not causation. But I do generally 
think he's 100% correct. Uh, my feeling is that I've, I've played a huge amount of chess. I've played Title Tuesday. I've played a lot of the best chess players over the board at chess. I understand Blitz chess and it's real Blitz chess and the mistakes even the best players make. Um, generally, he's right. There's a huge, huge amount of cheating going on. I'm going to give you just a couple of anecdotes. Sorry. I played Lavorna Ronian and Fabiano Caruana a few days ago. Or I've beaten, say, Ali Reza Fizukruzja twice. I beat Duda. I beat Maxim Vashila Grav. But, I mean, you know, I don't want to just give my own anecdotal evidence. But generally, if I had to translate it to accuracy, when I look, even when they're beating me, they're at 88, 90%. You know, like, and my, my sort of accuracy is around 81%, you know, maybe a bit more, 85%. And I feel as though when I'm playing them, the very best players, because I just know they're not cheating, it's real chess. And real blitz chess is full of mistakes. Even the very best players are constantly making mistakes. But I can tell you that when I play the next tier, I mean, it's not about individuals, but let's say in terms of, I don't know, let's call them the not-so-famous ones, right? I definitely sense something very different. Just I can tell from my own style of it's very kind of sometimes attacking, speculative. I know when 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 I've sort of got people, but they just seem to find resources which I just my intuition tells me is wrong. Uh, there's something just badly wrong. Um, so generally, I think he's right. The problem is how do you prove it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think it's a serious problem. I mean, I've been, for example, personally, given something like over the last two years. So post-COVID, it just got dramatically worse. You know, I don't know, let's say I've been given back like 500 rating points by chess.com. Just randomly. Like, that's, you know, a good, that's a good sign, right? That means they're catching them. No, it's a very bad sign. <laughs> it's, it's bad sign because I just don't like, like you can't trust the system. Once that uncertainty comes in, you can't trust any of it, it really makes it very difficult to play, very difficult to play online. Because it's just a waste of time. You think about someone like me, I'm just like, I don't know, having a bit of fun, I just kind of like Blitz Chess, right? But if it just, if there's that doubt that, oh my God, is am I just totally wasting my time here? Yeah. So if people like me drop out, imagine just a random like me just gets, and I have got demoralized with it. Uh, Chess.com starts accusing me of bloody cheating, and then I get, I'm get i getting 400, 500 rating points back. I don't have enough time anyway. And my play on, on, on all these like kind of sites has dramatically fallen because when that moment comes, it's like, oh, shall I play, I don't know, some games or whatever? That thing kicks in when you just go, oh, I just like... I can't be bothered. I don't feel as like it's real. It's just too uncertain. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. But also on the other side, you you said that you know you've beaten you're an international master. But you've beaten Jude, you've beaten Ali Reza, you've beaten all these guys. Like that part of that is that it is not that uncommon for international masters or twenty five hundred grandmasters to score the occasional point against the top. Definitely players. not. But again, I I know the the those games i i i there if you actually looked at those games and some of these sort of other games 
this, my games are so erratic in terms of let's call it accuracy. Oh, or... Trust, trust me, I, I very much relate to this. Like you know, every, <laughs> yeah. every time I've beaten a strong player, the game has been absolute nonsense. Exactly, like, you know, like so I've been, you know, like, like Faruja, I left a mate in one on. I didn't even notice during the game, right? Um, but another time, like, you know, he blundered a lot, dude blundered, you know, and it's like they're very volatile games, right? Mm. Whereas some of the other games that I'm talking about, they, they're much more controlled than you think, oh, hang on, I know I know enough about three-minute chess, even three-one chess, that it doesn't work like that. And again, you can't, I can't transcribe that into statistics. That's what I think Paddy McCrammick's struggling with. What he's really saying, right, is that, listen, I'm a proper chess player. I know what happens in a game of chess in, in, in real life. I've played a huge amount of real chess. I've won the World Championship, Blitz chess. And my intuition, and you just have to trust me on it, is that there's something very badly wrong here. And I completely agree with him on a different level. When it comes to sort of, well, prove it to me and whatever, of course, look, I've proven that I can beat the best chess players in the world. But the texture of the games is very, very different. If you actually, if I could show you my games, let's say against Feruzja and even say MVR, I remember them very clearly. When I look at them afterwards and even look at them on the engine, they're sort of laughable. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that because I think like I think that is where Kramnik's going wrong is that if he was just saying that you know like I feel something wrong in these games, I think Kramnik's intuition is still pretty much as good as it's ever been, especially. And I think the same of basically any top player. Um, I think when they if they stuck to just kind of going off their vibes, I think that would be a decent starting point for any investigation. Like, you still have to investigate more, but, like, that's a very good starting point. But I think where Kramnik gets really distracted is by these accuracy scores, which basically don't mean anything most of the time. And it, he really kind of undermines his credibility when he's he's almost giving away his opinion to the accuracy score rather than just saying, you know, like, I don't think there's this game is... No, I was just asking, what do you think about these accuracy scores? You think it's a reasonable parameter, or you think actually human intuition is uh, as relevant in, in detecting uh, these kinds of I mean, it's, it, it's, it's something. Um, but in all honesty, like, look, it's, because, it's because no one can sit there and actually look at every single game. Right? So look, Chess.com accused me of cheating and whatever. They didn't really accuse me of cheating, but you know, it's all cameras and you, know, it's like, you can tell they're, like, they're suspicious. And what I kind of say to them is like, look, go and look at those games against Faroujo. Get anyone reasonable. Danny Wrench is a great player in his own right. Go and look at them, right? It's impossible to have cheating. You know, you just know that if I showed you the games, you go and look at them afterwards, Peter, you'll just go, it's ridiculous, right? You know what I mean, right? You'd almost think it's just a bad, really bad I, game. I, I know I know how you play. I mean, I can yeah. imagine you beating Firusha, and I can also imagine it's not going to be correct. I mean... Exactly. But it's something, but, it, but you know, like... You know that you know it when you kind of like you know yourself, right? There's a sort of texture to games, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, no, you can feel a human battle or something like that, right? I mean, yeah, and it's like I think what Vladimir's problem is is that you're right um, that in the sense that he's really should probably stick to listen. Trust me, I know best. It's just completely wrong, right? But I can't necessarily prove it. But it's just ridiculous. But you know, he's like a logical guy. He's a chess player. He wants to use evidence and stuff and yeah i agree with you i think he is going down the wrong path i don't think he's doing himself any favors but i do believe he's very very right <laughs> but do you believe he's right on the actual scale yes so it's like it's like what 
half the people are cheating or I mean, it's it's rife it's everywhere like again if my intuition and my i've played so many games on live chess and whatever like i i sense it at all levels in fact it's probably worse around 2500 level so it's kind of like a weird trajectory it takes like i said the very best players in the world they just don't do it right you you could you could see it immediately that it's a real game right and then you get to that sort of weird and wonderful 2600-ish on level when they're at it you know it i know it it's obvious and then the others yeah i think it's i think it's a serious problem it's a, it's it's human nature it's easy you know we've seen it in like cycling and stuff yeah, it's mass. It's a massive, massive problem. Okay. Sorry. Well, maybe we can just end on that very positive note. Then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry, Peter. What do you think, Peter? What do you think, honestly? I, I to be honest, uh, I mean, I basically have opinions on everything. But Title Tuesdays, I have zero experience. I, I noticed Magnus playing, but I mean. There, he actually doesn't ask for my advice at all. So I barely, barely know, to be honest. Um, so this is a, a new world for me. And it's, uh, I mean, you know, fun for a change to see people argue with something that you're not really emotionally involved in. So, uh, But I it's a weird know. world where, like, you know, when, when people play against Magnus, they're obviously very reticent to cheat, <laughs> you see, because it's such a high-profile game. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. Then... I mean, I, I understand the logics and such. Um, and, well, the problem is I, I'm too naive. I basically think people are not cheating. I mean, I wrote, I'm famous for writing a newspaper article saying that uh, it, I don't see anything suspicious in Feller's game at the Olympiad. And he was, of course, uh, caught red-handed, right? So <laughs> I, 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 I have stopped uh, trusting myself in this one. I'm, I'm not, an, not an expert. So I, I don't think that many is cheating, but... Uh, I have been proven wrong historically, so I think yeah. yes. Let, I mean, let's leave me alone on this one. Yeah. I mean, generally, is the last thing you know. To in defence of Kramnik, right? It's pretty annoying if you've spent your life, you know, working, exploring, inventing whole new styles of chess, contributing to, you know, that's his life, that's his game, that's his everything. World champion, and part of it is annoyance, is that it's just all being demeaned so much and i and i really understand that you know yeah sure he's going about it the wrong way but i wouldn't take him lightly and i wouldn't you know i wouldn't no. let's say i have a lot of i have a lot of sympathy with him it's let's say very annoying yeah let me say that that kramnik was always like an you know intellectual powerhouse for me in chess i mean his ideas and something like that and that is, of course, scary if he could be so wrong. But on the other hand, we have seen it with, uh, well, it's not reasonable to compare him to Fischer, but we have seen Great, who goes wrong later in some way. I, I don't know, to be honest. Yeah, but, you know, say, same with Kasparov, right? We saw, like, how he found it very difficult to translate his chess genius to, like, business and stuff, okay? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to chess, I trust him. <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah. That's a very different yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a good good point. Kramnik is actually going nuts about uh, chess, while Fischer was going nuts about other things where he was not. Exactly. I wouldn't, you know, like he's not uh, he's not straying out of his uh, company. You know, this is a man who, you know, introduced completely new styles of chess, like out of the blue. And then for that, if he's coming and saying these things, I would. I really do back him. I don't back what he's doing with the numbers because I understand numbers pretty well. He's, it's a it's a dead end. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the ones that I've 
think he's really damaging his credibility is when he talks about people like Nakamura, which I, I find I just find it incredibly difficult to believe there's any motivation for Hikari to cheat at this point. And like I think that the when he's accusing people like that who have the full track record of over the board chess, over the board plates, like even classical recently. Um, I think it's very difficult to kind of take him seriously when he talks about other people. Yeah, but I think it's more a message. I, I actually maybe weirdly, it's almost like I don't think he's really accusing him. I think what he's really sort of saying is um, the problem is so serious. If you can't even trust, like it's inconceivable that Nakamura is cheating because for so many different reasons, right? But he's saying that if the whole system, and I'm talking like the whole that kind of infrastructure of online blitz chess especially is that uncertain and there's that much uncertainty in it well you know like everything starts to crumble you know confidence is everything you know it's like i don't know the stock market if if rabid insider dealing was rampant 24 7 at some point the participants would start falling away you know what i mean yeah and i i think this is the main problem is that the like chess.com and Fide as well also need to remove the doubt from the players because I, I believe most players are just playing honestly and I think it's completely unfair to people like Kramnik is part of it but Kramnik doesn't really play so much anymore so he's not really a professional but like someone like Caruana like it's affecting Caruana's ability to just play chess well and I think this is incredibly damn like I think that's actually more damaging than the fact that people are cheating at chess. Like, because it's affecting people like, I think, Caruana. MVL, I think, has suffered from this stuff. When you kind of look at some of his results against certain players, I mean, this thing where in the Champions Chess Tour, they get to pick their opponents for the knockout stage. Some of these cases are leading to people picking higher-rated players over lower-rated players. And it's not because they, you know, there's a stylistic thing there. It's, you know, they have suspicions, which is insane at, at that level because like champions chester is pretty serious level it's serious money um and it's it's very damaging to the sport if you know it's so rife that the players are you know choosing their opponents big you know they'll pick like a stronger player because they think at least he's a human yeah and then you get to that whole next level of complete madness in that once that uncertain you can't unsee what you've seen and even if it was completely clean, the fact that people are fearing it completely changes even the sort of nature of the games and play and everything. Yeah, I mean, because like if you, I, I was going to say before, like, you know, like you play online sometimes and you'll play against a really obvious cheater. Like he plays perfect chess, he takes four seconds of move, he completely destroys you and you think, okay, I'm 100% sure that guy cheated. You play your next game after that, you always play worse. Like one hundred percent of the time, you'll play a shit game the second time. Yeah, you're on tilt. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, and I think the top players basically have that. Well, at, at least a certain amount of the top players have that as an ongoing thing, because it's just always in their mind. And like, I think Chess.com and Fide do have a responsibility to kind of remove that doubt from people's minds, so that they can just do what they're good at. Yeah, the elephant in the room is. I honestly think uh, online chess is un. It's un- unbelievable. It's just not possible. It's just when there's a will, it's not possible. I, I think there's there's still improvements to be made before we get there. I think 
uh, in a recent interview with Levitov, uh, Eric from Chess.com said that they were going to start sending proctors to people's houses. God. Well, they're going to come to my bathroom. Yep. <laughs> no, no well, thanks. I mean, I, my guess is like, uh, I don't think you could really do it for Title Tuesdays, but like Champions Chester, I don't see why not. And I, I think what you ha- they have to do is like, you sign a contract, which is basically the same as like drugs testing. Like, someone knocks on, someone can knock on your door at any time if you're a tennis player and drug test you. And like, that should be the same for chess. Someone can, if you're in an event, someone can knock on the door and like, you don't know. So no, like, it doesn't mean that someone is actually going to come, but like, if they no, knock on your door and they see like you've got something strange set up, like then you're back. No, what well, someone's going to, I don't know, pop down to Milwaukee or something. <laughs> no way. <Yeah. laughs> it's just undoable. It's like, I mean, look, I, I'm not. I, I wish it wasn't, but it's like, no. You know, what someone's going to sort of get the bus to Siberia? <laughs> like, I think you can do it. I, I'm pretty confident you can do it. And if you can't do it, you can make people play from chess clubs. Like, yeah, I mean, that, but then you're just completely change, changing the system to sort of um, physical chess. But I mean, with, with title Tuesdays, like you can't really do this because this is much more a casual thing. And like, I, I'm actually curious, like how many people would continue to play title Tuesday if there was no prize money? Because I think a lot of people just play for fun and they enjoy playing against strong players. So I'm not sure if the the participation rate would drop massively if there was no prize money. No, but listen, like it's it seems a bit weird. It's a bit weird to me, but there really is a very large body of seemingly even good players who just don't like losing. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. they just don't like losing the fictitious rating points. It just does something to them. They losing. Is a very painful thing for some people. That actually, I would like to have a separate episode about because I think that is spoken way too little about. I mean, this uh, pain of losing is uh, underestimated in chess. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. It was great to chat. Yeah. Thank Thanks you for having me. Thank yeah. you very much. Okay. Have a good one. Bye. Okay. Bye, everyone. See you next week. Bye.